heights to the depths of the sea. Here in verse 3, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet, he's referring to a psalm that his father had written, and he's referring to the promise that God had given to David and ultimately had given to Solomon as well. creatures you Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Our scripture today says, Until the Lord put his foe under the soles of his feet. To put enemies under the feet was the symbolic act of showing conquest. In contemporary art, enemies were often depicted as a footstool. It seemed that Solomon was trusting in the promises of God that were given to his father David, as in Psalm 110 verse 1. But as time went on, he realized he needed to begin building his own relationship with God through those same promises. In this transformation, Solomon began to refer to Almighty God as my God. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Man's ways please the Lord. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, this doesn't mean that Hiram was an enemy of David, because he certainly wasn't. He was a friend. He was a friend, but he was also a Gentile king. And the Jews have never really had great dealings with Gentiles around them. Even today, all the Gentiles, most of them, want to destroy Israel. But to have a king like this, to be so friendly and so outgoing, and just so willing to bless David, and then to bless David's son Solomon is really remarkable. And I love that. I think, I think wouldn't the world be a better place if we did that, if other kings did that? So notice, then Solomon sent to Hiram saying, and this was probably sent either through a messenger or perhaps written down on some obstacon or some kind of substrate that they would use to write things down, parchment, we don't really know, or it could have been a, a messenger. But he, Solomon sends to Hiram and he says, you know that how David my father could not build a house for my name or for the name of the Lord his God. Because of the wars which are fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. And notice he says, the Lord his God. If you haven't underlined that, underline it now. Because in verses 3, 4, and 5, you're going to see, in verse 3 it said, the Lord his God. Verse 4, the Lord his God. And then finally, the Lord, I'm sorry, excuse me. The Lord his God, speaking, David speaking of David's God. But in verses 4 and 5, he says, but the Lord my God. And there's something significant about that. We'll get to that. But David, he was not allowed to build the house of God. Now, when we look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, as I referred to earlier, it's not complete 
It doesn't mention everything that God had spoken to David. There's a portion of it there, but we have to go to Chronicles to find what else God had said, because that is the truth of what all God said. And let me read it to you. You might want to, again, write in your Bibles, 1 Chronicles 22, verses 6 through 10, because notice what God spoke to David. When God did speak to David during that time of this promise, he also spoke these things. And let me read them to you, because you won't find them in 2 Samuel 7. You'll only find them here, and in 1 Chronicles 28, 3 through 7, you'll find it there as well. But let me just read it to you, because it is important. Because it says, Then he called for his son Solomon, David did, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have great wars. And have made great wars, you shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. And notice here, this is really interesting. Behold, a son shall be born to you yet, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all of his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon. And so God tells him what his purpose is. He even gives him his name. God even called him Jedidiah, meaning beloved of the Lord. Another name that God gave to Solomon. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all of his enemies all around. And his name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. So that 40 years would be unheard of. And he shall build a house for my name. And he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And notice, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever forever. Some of those things God had already, God had told David that he, this is an everlasting thing. And so notice at the end of verse three, it says, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. Now Solomon, now that David had passed away, remember David was a prolific writer of songs for Israel. We call them Psalms, but he wrote many of them. We have many of them in the Bible. He wrote, you know, I mean, there's 150 of them. He wrote the majority of them. But one of them was Psalm 110, and Solomon was very much aware of that psalm, of the promise in that psalm. And let me read it to you. It's one that we know very well. Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, the Lord God said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So as Solomon is is mentioning this now, Here in verse 3, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet, he's referring to a psalm that his father had written, and he's referring to the promise that God had given to David and ultimately had given to Solomon as well. And even Paul in the New Testament, when he was writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 22, let me read it to you, because at the end of this, he mentions, he recalls this same psalm. In verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Hallelujah. Right? That's what we're going to be celebrating on next Friday and then the following Sunday. 
For as we all died in Christ, we will all be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, he was the firstfruits of the resurrection, and then afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. When he puts an end to, oh, I read that. I just want, can I read it again? Um, when he puts an end to all rule and authority, that just sounds so good to me, doesn't it? It's sort of like, he, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, and here's the verse, verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And so even Paul the Apostle, over a thousand years later, is referring to this same Psalm 110, verse 1, that Solomon is rehearsing and now talking to Hiram and saying, this is what God is going to do. Again, the promises of God are irrevocable. You can't, you can't break that bond when God makes a promise. It is as good as done. Many people have tried to thwart God's plan and to thwart his promises. And guess what? They lost. And he always wins. And I don't know about you, but that just puts a smile on my face. Not because people are not getting what they want. I mean, I don't want what I want. I don't even want all that I want. Because if God gave me everything I wanted, I would probably be a mess. So anyway. But notice, verse 4 now. But now the Lord my God. And I had you underline that for a reason. Because David says, when he's talking about his dad, the Lord his God. But now it becomes personal. It's no longer just my dad's God. It's my God now. But now the Lord my God, he has given me rest on every side. And there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And I love this because in verse 5 he says the very same thing. But see, Solomon needed to have his own personal relationship with God. And he couldn't ride on the coattails of all the things that God did for his dad, for his father David. He had to pave his own way. He had, to, he had to chart new territory. He couldn't just stay in that place of resting on dad's laurels or even his dad's reputation or even the promises that God had given to David. He's like, no, no, these promises belong to me now. And, and God is doing this. And he's doing it right now. He's doing it. And Solomon is completely blown away. And that's why when God loved him so much, and you remember when he was in Gabeon, Offering sacrifices there in abundance that very night, God spoke to him and says, Solomon, what do you want? You name it, I'll give it to you. You just name it. And you know, God wasn't twiddling his thumbs going, I hope he doesn't ask for that Bugatti because it hasn't even been invented yet. I hope he doesn't ask for all that stuff because, oh, God wasn't worried because you know why? God already had the man's heart. And so when God has a man's heart, he can promise him anything. And God's going to be blessed because that man's going to be blessed because the altar of his heart is a place where God sits. And when God sits on the altar of our hearts, we've got nothing to fear. And we've also got nothing that we need to worry about because there's no idol on our heart when God is on the throne of our hearts. So there was no idol at that time on, on Solomon's heart. The Lord was central and into in his life. What do you want, Solomon? <laughs> Solomon said, I just need I'm I'm so young, Lord, I don't even know how to come out. I don't know how to go in. 
Everything is being provided for me. I've done nothing, and everything is here for me. I just need to know how to guide and how to judge rightly all these wonderful people of yours. Notice Solomon and all of his glory and all of his pomp at this time. He wasn't full of himself. He was humbled. He said, I just need to know how to do the right thing, God. I want to do the right thing. This is so huge. This is way bigger. I'm way at the deep end of the pool. Way at the deep end of the pool, God. And I understand that idea of being way at the deep end of the pool. And, you know, you don't, your water wings are, are, you know, the air is coming out of the water wings and you're starting to flail. And, you know, I understand how that is. And that's where he was. And he says, I just need to know. And God says, great. Because I'm going to give you everything you need, Solomon. In fact, I'm going to give you so much more than you've ever asked. And because you didn't ask for the things that everybody else would have asked for, I'm going to give those to you as well. In abundance. You're going to have wisdom coming out your ears. You're going to have gold coming out of your hands. It's going to be like, it's going to be like nothing to you. And I'm going to bless you. But Solomon needed to come to this personal relationship with God himself. He could not ride on the coattails of his dad. And see, that's why discipleship is so important in the church today. Because, you know, it it doesn't appear to be recorded for us whether David really used this discipleship with his own sons, with the exception of perhaps Solomon. Because God had a great plan for Solomon, and David was behind it. He was... At the end of his life, he was like, I'm all in on this. I'm all in on this. And so maybe David finally, once out of all of his sons, he really put all of his eggs in the basket for Solomon. And he's like, I want to, give every, I want to do everything I can to make him prosperous, to make that, that promise from God come to fruition. I want him to be the best that there's ever been. And God says he is going to be the best. There's going to be nobody like him, before him or after him. Of course, ruling out Jesus, of course. But any physical human being, there's going to be nobody like him, and neither will there be anyone like him. Think about that. Even today, there's been nobody like Solomon, except for Christ, his Savior. But discipleship is so important. David, or Solomon, excuse me, was no longer riding on the coattails of his dad. Now he's beginning to form this this personal relationship with God. But David was active in his life, more so than any of his other sons, and I believe that. And you know, when you look throughout the scripture, you see these wonderful pairs of disciplers. There always has to be somebody discipling and there has to be somebody willing to be discipled. And whenever those two ingredients exist, it is really wonderful. I see it in the church here too and it's really beautiful to see. You know, always be in that place of being willing to be discipled and also be willing to disciple others. But that requires you to do two things, or at least one thing, to be willing to be discipled. Yourself, to be willing to be taught and to learn from somebody who has been in the game, who's been a Christian longer than you have been, has more experience in the things of God than you do, to have somebody, you know, to be willing to look up to somebody. Pastor Jeff still has a mentor. That's Pastor Bill Gallatin. That's his mentor. He's still being discipled, and yet he discipled me, he's discipled others. But that's the, that's the program, that's the way it has to work. 
And I had to be willing to be discipled. I had to be willing to say, I really don't have it all together. I really don't know how to do certain things. And then for him to be willing to disciple me. Do you understand? It, it, it works both ways. Because if, if he didn't want to disciple me, it would have been cut off right then. And even if I didn't want to be discipled, it would have been cut off right there. But when it's all happening at the same time, it's wonderful. You see it in Moses and Joshua. You see it in their relationship. You certainly see it in Samuel and David as Samuel being like a father figure to David, someone that David could trust in the most difficult time of his life. He was perhaps the only person other than Jonathan that David could trust when he was on the run from Saul. And what about Elijah and Elisha? The discipleship that was happening there and certainly the greatest disciple of all time, Jesus Christ. And his disciples, how he was such a great discipler. He was willing to pour out everything to these men. And now they poured out, and then we are the beneficiaries of their discipleship. Do you see? And so we cannot stop. We must be willing to be discipled. And we must be willing to disciple. It's a, it's a constant thing. It's like, the, it's like the, the Sea of Galilee. You know, the water's coming in from Hermon and coming in to the, the Sea of Galilee. And the Galilee is teeming with life. And that water has to continue going down south into the southern uh, areas of all those farms and stuff. And, and all the tributaries and all the water that's being siphoned off to... to Help all those fields of grain and all these different plants and vegetables and fruit. It has to be that way. It's healthy to be, a, to be discipled, but then be willing to be a disciple. Find somebody that you can disciple. I love what Paul said to the Corinthians. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And the implications there is if I'm not, don't imitate me if I'm not imitating Christ. If I'm not walking the way Christ, then don't follow me. But by all means, if I am following him and doing the right things, then by all means, follow me. And see, that's what a discipler is. It's an apprentice. Somebody who's willing to be the master, and somebody has to be willing to be an apprentice. Someone to draw alongside and to learn the tricks of the trade. To learn from someone. It's a good thing. I hope you love learning. I love to learn. And I'm always learning. It's a healthy thing. In Philippians, Paul even says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk, as you also have us for a pattern. Notice what he says. You have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, because not everybody wants to follow Christ. But he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me, follow my example. And finally in Philippians 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is any, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And notice verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do. Notice that. <laughs> the things that you've learned from me, that you've received from me, that you've heard and you saw in me. Those four things. And now Solomon is coming into that same place. It's 
no longer the Lord his God, it's the Lord my God. I've been discipled, and now Solomon's going to be a great discipler as well. He's going to be one of the wisest men. People from all over the world are going to start coming to him. And see, discipleship in the church is, is so important for the church to continue to be effective, and we must not miss it, because otherwise we've got a whole bumper crop of young people who've got nothing But we've got to be willing to share with them. And they've got to be willing to listen. And is my life reflecting something? Is is there something about my life that somebody wants to follow me? I hope so. And if, if it isn't, then I have to ask the painful question quietly, privately to the Lord. Lord, what is it about me? Am I so busy with my, my, my earthly pursuits, with my hobbies, that I've got no time for anybody else? I've got no time for a young man who doesn't know how to hang a drywall? I, you know, who doesn't know how to cut a two-by-four and fit and frame a door? Or am I willing to have the job go a little slower because this young guy wants to learn a trade and He wants to learn how to do things. Am I willing for the job to go just a little bit longer? Because I'm investing. I'm investing in him. See, that's the kind of stuff, and and, and not just physical things. I mean, investing spirit, the whole thing. There's so much we can do, but that is what it is. And being a parent and being a discipler, being a parent, and if we're all parents, for those of you who are parents, you are in the disciple business, discipleship business. Whether we like it or not, it's just a question of how fruitful and how good am I at this. And it's never too late. It's never too late. Don't let the devil freak you out and say, well, you know, they're 15. They soon will be out of the house. You might as well forget it now. No, you start tomorrow. You start tomorrow. But notice... In verse 4 there, there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. I love that. And what a blessed time. There was no other time, like I said, in Israel, Israel's history where they had that. And you might want to write down this reference next to that. And it's in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Let me just read it to you because it's speaking of this time period that I'm telling you about in the millennial reign of Christ because Israel had not enjoyed... What they're enjoying at this time, as we look at Solomon's reign, they're not going to enjoy that again like that until then. But notice what it tells us in Micah, the prophet, tells us. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. And whenever you see the latter days, usually it's referring to yet days future to us. Okay. When it comes to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And it's going to happen. And it shall and, and shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And you, ought, you remember this from Isaiah chapter chapter 2. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And I love that. And see, this is the time that Solomon, they're going to enjoy this 40. I would love to live during the time of Solomon, more so even than right now. To live during that time, that 40 years, that golden age. 
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.